Hello and welcome to Letters and Lines, a comics podcast looking at comics from the perspective of being a fan, a creator and a critic. Before we dive into what we're actually going to be talking about in this episode, it's probably worth introducing who we are so you know whose voices you're listening to. I'm Hass and I make Strip Panel Naked on YouTube. I edit the Eyes and the Winning Panel by Panel magazine and I edit and letter comic books. And I'm Aditya and I letter comics like Hellblazer, Izola and Little Bird. So this week, as always, we've got two topics. So I bring one, Aditya brings one. Uh, and my topic is how to think about lettering from a writer's perspective. Uh, and my topic is, do we think this shift to digital lettering has actually been a good thing for comics? But we've also, and I'm, I'm very excited about this, we've also got a special guest this episode. Uh, it's not just me and you rambling to each other. But yeah. We've also got another letterer, third letterer. Oh my God, you are so spoiled. Um, Ariana Mark, who lettered comics like James Bond, Critical Role, Nancy Drew, and the DC Kids books like Zatanna and the House of Secrets, and like a thousand other great comic books as well. Uh, welcome. Hi, guys. Hey, it's, it's thanks for doing to be this. Here. <laughs> no, it's, it's my pleasure. It's... So, like, we're going from niche to niche here, like more letters. Yeah. <laughs> you just keep keep increasing the number of letters until the concentration is too high to handle. <laughs> <laughs> two, two, two was probably too many already, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, just keep adding on, see what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say we're gonna we're gonna start we're gonna quiz you for a little bit first. All right, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we want to we want to learn a bit about uh, about you, how you got started. Like, what for you? What was the what was the gateway to to becoming a letterer? What was the thing where you were like that specific niche job is the thing I want to do? Uh, let's see. I started out ten years ago, just teaching my goofing off with um, you know um, uh, Adobe and stuff just for fun. I want I my friend was putting together a little like web comic, so I was like putting in the lettering just to learn how to do it, you know, treat teaching mm-hmm. myself. And then um, around that time, it was a huge time of transition for me because I was moving from Japan. I was quitting my day job and I was moving to um, South Brazil to live with my mom for about a year. Um, it was like one of those job transition things. And, and there was one comic that was really getting me through things. And that was Thor, the Mighty Avenger. It was lettered <laughs> oh, I love that by... Guy. Russell. Oh yeah, it was lettered by Russ Wooten, and I was, I was, it was the first time in quite a while where I just sat and stared at the comic and being like, "This shouldn't work. This shouldn't work so well." <laughs> but because he had, he was using small text. He was using these large balloons. Um, I mean, in any other book, it looked like whisper text because he was using so much space, and yet. It didn't take up too much space in the art. Everything like really fit in place. The pacing was wonderful. And just every member of that, like, cause they had like, what was it? Roger Language writing this amazing story that's just like in completely different attitude of many books at that time. And yeah. then you had Chris Sabney really early, mm-hmm. pretty early Chris Sabney just knocking and it out Matt of the Wilson park really and cool. Matt Wilson. Yeah. And then you had Russ on there and it was just like, this team is amazing, especially the issue where they go to an English <laughs> and get into a fight with Captain Britain. That's like my favorite thing yeah. in the world. So I, I love just, that. Yeah, reminding me yeah, of it. Yeah. And that went from me just like appreciating lettering and how comics are put together and just being a fan of the stuff to being like, I want to I wanna be on a team. I want to like help other people make stuff like this. I want to 
do something cool like that. And I, I, I can't write stories. <laughs> I've, I've, you know, I was one of those creative <laughs> writing kids who was like wrote stories. And then I'm like, yeah, no, this isn't for me. And can't, can't draw a circle can't draw <laughs> and I'm just like I can't do comics but then I really liked lettering and I was teaching myself digital lettering and I'm like you know what maybe this is how I can help people make comics and mm-hmm. um it was a lot of ups and downs over the years but I consistently stuck with it mostly with the help of um friends in web comics who wanted work done and had specific needs. Um, Jade, uh, I see she does this, uh, she, their series is called little, little foolery. That's their imprint and little mm-hmm. foolery. They do a whole bunch of different books and one web comic they did consistently is called sphere theory. And so I would let her that for fun. And she would always be like, I want this. I want this. I want this. And then I would just start, you know, problem solving with her. In fact, she would do rough sketches of, of the page. And then I would let her over the rough sketch to give her an idea. And she would just adjust the entire drawing and oh, finalize that's it that's based on my lettering. Oh, it's, it is the dream. It, yeah. it was it was my training ground, and I still work on it with her. As just like anytime she calls me up and she's like, "Oh, I'm going to do a batch of five pages," I'm like, "I'm there. I'm already there. I'm sitting here at my desk. Let's do this," because she's just one of consistently um, just a creative feedback loop between each other, and so that kept me going up until about five years ago. Everything changed when um, Sloan Leong got me onto uh, an image book. And I was like, I guess I'll try. Yeah, no, that was um, uh, from Under the Mountain, I think it was called. It was, it was, it was, um, and then I was on Arclay. And then after that, I got it on Prism Stalker and and this series called Ringside, which was like wrestling and stuff. Yeah, I liked Ringside, man. Ringside's cool. Yeah, Ringside had a lot of potential. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was Joe Keaton's. Yeah. And um, that's when things started picking up. <laughs> right. I, th- I think that's around the time I started seeing your name uh, a lot more. I think you also did some work with uh, uh, like a couple, Simon Roy and people like that, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. I had to step in because Ed, Ed uh, Brissom was uh, going into writing. He was transitioning from lettering into writing. Right. And mm-hmm. there was a couple of the remaining issues of um, what was it Profit. called? Profit. Profit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was the last profit storyline and it was like the last few issues right. and they're like, Oh, we need someone. And they knew I could do a turnover at the last minute for them. So I did that. And, and that was the first time like Ed, Ed sent me his lettering template and it mm. felt like I was going through someone else's underwear drawer. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like I, when I, when I got started, Clem, Clem Robbins sent me his template and I was just like, I don't think you're like, right. Am I, am I allowed to look like I'm I'm kind of like when I early on I would share like my feed like my thoughts on templates on tumblr and stuff like that and like show people screenshots of how I use my template and now I'm kind of like embarrassed it's like people will look at my template and be like why did you do it this way it's like because it works for me damn it yeah like there's so many things that uh, I think like they're specific to like each of us that we don't even realize how efficient or inefficient they are yeah. Mine yeah. are mess. Yeah. Mine, are, mine are so untidy. It's, I think it's mine, embarrassing how bad mine are. Mine are tidy but excessive. It's like, <laughs> why did you do that much? And it's like, 
I just wanted to <laughs> I just wanted to make sure everything was there. <laughs> <laughs> and each project has a unique template with it, which is like, oh geez. <laughs> yeah, I started I started doing those quite recently because what I used to do before that was I would just copy paste a, a page from the previous issue into the new one and then just like start working <laughs> there. And I started oh. thinking, wait, I, like I don't have half the things that I need in this. So like yeah. I, I think I need to start. have to dig back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think I actually accidentally lettered an entire issue wrong because of that. And that was when I felt like, okay, you know what? Let me just take <laughs> a week great. and let me just figure this shit out. Let me just yeah. make my templates. And now now it's a lot more systematic. Yeah. 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 My, if you guys ever want to see my I, templates, I'll share it with you because they are <laughs> wild. I have okay. I'm going to admit this. Okay, in my templates, the thing is, is that I was using a CS6 up yeah. until mm -hmm. the end of last year, and I finally upgraded to CC. I was just always scared of the upgrade, because every time I think it's like, okay, I'm going to update to CC, I'm going to commit to this stupid subscription. And as soon as I think that, Jim Campbell will post something on Twitter about like, Adobe, you suck. Oh my God, yeah. And it's like, you, you, did, you did an update and it's all wrong. And I'm like, oh You no. know, I still, I still think that CS6 is the perfected version of the app. And after that, it's just not, like they've added bells and whistles, but it's not actually gotten better. Yeah, but there's when I finally did the jump, there wasn't too much of a transition because it's basically CS6 with extra bells and whistles. Yeah. But one yeah. thing that was different is that they finally had a snap to text box kind of thing, you know, where you copy oh, yeah. the text over and yeah. then you just click the little box and then it snaps together and it's an object Correct. that's like, like the vertical snap thing. Yeah. Jim, and then, Jim told me about that actually. Yeah, yeah, and the thing is that like up until CS6, like CS6, you don't have that. So what wow. I would do because I have an action where I will align the balloon and the text with a press of like F2, and that's it. And right. it it would just become habit. To this point, I think I've pretty much worn that key off. Yeah, yeah. My mind's <laughs> but, uh, for that. yeah. yeah so I'm always hitting that button and the thing is is that the way to make sure i snap it and it's always perfectly in the center is that uh, i would have every line like i'd have a single line the uh, two lines three lines four lines of dialogue and all of them would be perfectly snapped into oh, and okay, then when okay. you... that's that's a nice workaround actually yeah so when i would copy text over i would see the line of text have a pretty good judgment of how many lines in a balloon that would be copy it over and paste it out and it's like okay then it's already all snapped together i and then i just copy both the balloon on its balloon la layers and the uh, text on its text layers and just like alt and move them over and then i have them all aligned then i pop them onto the page and that's it right but it would just it would seem like an excessive amount and it would take maybe about an hour to set everything up every time i would do it yeah because project. i i mean I still, just do that, I still just do that manually like the vertical alignment yeah. i don't actually do anything uh, with an action i just do it man yeah <laughs> and and now now i'm now i have the snap too with um adobe and i'm like i'm trying to get used to it but sometimes it's the the snap to is just a little bit lower oh, than yeah. the line of text because it makes room for like you know mm -hmm. the y and stuff like that when it dips down and it's like that's fine but sometimes it makes the text look just slightly a smidge higher on the balloon 
And yeah. so I'm just constantly readjusting everything as I'm going. I'm like, eh, I'll get used to it. <laughs> it's just, it's just all these new systems to get used to. I feel like an old lady now. <laughs> At some point of time, the techn- technology kind of does advance. It's essentially, it becomes like excessive. So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I, I know so many people who still, uh, I, uh, okay, this is this is the funniest thing. Like, I think Todd Klein publicly talks about this, so I can see this. He still types in his text. He thinks that's fast. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, he doesn't copy paste. Wow. I like to do one, I like to do one balloon per book, just to, just to feel like I've done something. <laughs> so otherwise i'm like it doesn't feel like i've done any work i just right. want one balloon i like you just to type it, it out in. myself <laughs> just yeah just, just to feel just, it just, just, <laughs> just to feel the keyboard underneath your fingers <laughs> just because at the end of the day when someone says what have you done today i can i can say well i did that balloon you know <laughs> that was me <laughs> wow but then but the rest of the book like you you don't feel like you did that no the rest of the book i feel like i've phoned it in <laughs> <laughs> it was too enjoyable to feel like work you mean <laughs> yeah i want that that one bit just was a bit harder than the rest of the book and therefore it felt like i did i worked a proper job yeah i'll i'll copy paste and and sometimes i will correct you know grammar and spelling issues whenever i see them but yeah. sometimes like i know nate pecos would like that but like i'll I'll just leave it in because I've I've learned the hard way that you'll see something <laughs> is wrong. You'll see they forgot their Oxford comma and that sentence is coming off weird and you'll fix it and they'll be like, no, take that comma out. And I'm like, you bastards, it doesn't make sense now. <laughs> yeah, I, I have two clients. I have two clients for whom I don't correct anything. Um, mm-hmm. One is Ivan Brandon, but that's because he his writing has a very specific cadence that he's going for. And mm-hmm, all the punctuation mm-hmm. is kind of working with it. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. if I correct something, he might ask me to change it back. So I would rather, like, let him, we'll, we'll figure it out later. And then yeah. there's one client who got a little hissy about me fixing their commas. And I was like, <laughs> no, okay, then I, 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 that's fine. It's your <laughs> that sounds like the kind of person who's like, every time I breathe, I should enter a comma. <laughs> <laughs> It's like cause that's a pause. <laughs> yeah, but that that Ra- Ram actually does that because he he'll put a comma everywhere there's a pause, and I just keep telling him you don't need that many commas. <laughs> so I I just remove most of them. That's fine. Like he doesn't he doesn't mind. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I think this is a good. I always try and get like a nice segue, and I actually think this is a kind of an interesting segue into the first topic. Okay. Just to just right. to slightly shift into that section. Which is about sure. from a, a a writer's perspective, like how what do you want as a letterer, or what can we suggest as letterers to writers to help them think right. about lettering? Actually, yeah, that's that's a good idea. Yeah. And I don't know. Originally, uh, I came up with this based on the idea of uh, we, me and Aditya had a conversation off of this podcast about uh, based on that David Mazzucchelli, uh or which I probably butchered that surname. Um, uh, talk he did uh wait it's, Mat- it's matsukelli matsukelli there you go yeah. after that talk he did and there was two questions at the end of that hour-long talk that went viral for about two hours before everyone realized they'd have to listen that was a fantastic talk by the way anybody <laughs> listening uh if if an- mm-hmm. anybody apart from the three of us is listening they should go check it out well the, so in, at the end of that he, i'll go check that out it's, it's really <laughs> interesting at the end of it he, he gets he asks for questions from the from this audience and essentially it's like three different people just ask the exact same question which is if i'm a writer 
how because what what he talks a lot about is how you think visually for comics on the page but from a kind of writer artist perspective like a lot of stuff he's talking about is is kind of art driven and so these these three questions are essentially well how do i do that if i'm not drawing it like how do i still think visually and give visual cues and and kind of help an artist if i'm only writing the book and his response is to just say like well you know think about how you want this thing to look on the page you don't have to you know do an alan moore uh phone book for every every Mm -hmm. panel or whatever but like you can think about Mm -hmm. the the presentation and so i wondered if there's is there something equivalent that we would like as letterers for writers like what advice could we give them about thinking about lettering and also as a sub question do we even want them to think about lettering or is that something that we would prefer to kind of deal with an approach on our own on our own terms and i'm opening that oh, question that's a, that's a lot to answer <laughs> yeah i think, yeah, I think I can, I... <laughs> a, but uh for me i think it's uh multiple things that we can suggest both on a, a technical and uh like like number one thing mm-hmm. um one thing that letters always want from writers is for them to have a good script format like mm. I I have bookmarked the um um uh, the Blambot yeah. Fred uh, uh Fred Van Lanty script. They have an article. They explain what letters like <laughs> in a good script because like writing a script is for the artist and the colorist and the letterer. Mm-hmm. The artist wants to have a if not overly detailed like Alan Moore, but like an idea of what they need in the panel and for it to be clear and concise to give them room, right, to to be creative. And at the same time, like, make sure it's it, they understand what's going on. And then the colorist wants to know what freaking time of day it is. <laughs> Important <laughs> details like that. If there's a MacGuffin that has to be red, say it's, it has to be red. <laughs> if something has to be certain colors to point that out. But the letterer is actually physically using the document. And yeah. like one thing, I don't want it to be in PDF. It's kind of a pain to copy paste off PDF. I keep losing my mouse on it and it's just like dumb and I hate it. It's like slippery. PDFs are slippery. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. uh, just like send me a Word document when you uh, want to format it a certain way, don't use multiple spaces or tabs when you're trying to format that text because it'll look pretty, but it's going to be a pain in the ass to copy paste physically from the page onto the comic book page. Then it is faster to just type it directly. Um, just like little things in the notations. One thing um, that can trip me up is how uh, bolding is done mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in a script the i i'm fine with it being underlined though sometimes the um the spell check will also underline it with a color and i might not see the underline for the bold and that like kind of trips me up sometimes that's fine though um actual bolding the text in the script i will note it immediately and be like okay i'll bold it you know in the comic page mm-hmm. but when they use all caps it's annoying <laughs> because yeah, it's just a little annoying because it's because a lot of really good fonts like the professional fonts that we like to purchase and use can have contextual alternatives and that means that 
darn, you know, crossbar I will pop up. And it's just like, it's such a fiddly thing that you have to go back to the writer and be like, okay, okay. Could you, instead of it being all caps, could you bold it for me, please? And they'll do it. Um, I mean, the nice ones will do it. <laughs> but it's, it's just little things. And there's a whole article on Blambot that explains this. So I usually direct people to that. And that's just the mechanical things. So like mm-hmm. what we want to physically Correct. use that's, Yeah, exactly. That's the technical stuff. Um, that's, the te- that's the technical thing, like the bare minimum. Don't go and use like these old writer scripts that people will use for references. Like those are great when you want to understand how you're translating what you're thinking to the medium for comics. That's great. But Alan Moore uses all caps everywhere and it drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah I find them very hard to read. Yeah. But I would, mm-hmm. I would add one more technical uh, point on this that um, mm-hmm. always make it clear who is talking. Um, yep. So there are people who will like basically mention a character's name, but when it's off panel, they will just write off or they will mm-hmm. just write a caption. So like, mm-hmm five people have the same like caption so like um mm-hmm. we are like we don't need to like there's nothing you need to hide from us right like you need to hide mm-hmm. it from the reader but we need to know who's speaking mm-hmm. so if you're yeah. if you're writing a quoted caption you should mention the name of the character and then write caption um like basically mm-hmm. we need to know who uh, who is talking so because because there will be a time when let's say some, some something is just off panel and I will letter it normally but turns out it's actually some kind of monster speaking mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I needed to use a different style for that and I couldn't realize it so technically that's yeah. one point I would add to that like just just clarity yeah. above all like just just make it clear yeah. who's all the time to add to that there's um I recently had a script where there are these two people talking, but they weren't major characters in the story. They were just introduced for this particular issue for this particular part of the story. And they were basically, you know, goon one, goon two. (laughs) And, um, and for some reason, goon two was the first speaker. And I didn't spot that because there was no descriptions of what they looked like. They didn't mm-hmm. update it after the art was done mm-hmm. to describe, okay, it's the one who's blonde or it's the one who's brown hair. And so I to I did it in the logical sense in my head on what made it read better. And I kept consistent with that. And after I was done and turned it in, I looked back at the script. And I'm like, oh, shoot, that was supposed to be switched. But the editor didn't correct it. So right. I kept it like that. <laughs> and I was like, okay. No, but I, think, I mean, I guess it's good. I don't think it probably matters too much. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it shouldn't. It shouldn't matter too much. And I yeah. guess they didn't mind because they read so well. But it's like, you know, when you describe these characters, um, you know, try to give some kind of visual cue mm-hmm. after looking at the art, so that we know because we have to identify them and uh, don't rely too heavily on the description of the panel to inform the letterer. I really appreciate it when they have a note for the letterer and they put it in a different color or they capitalize, hey, letterer, or something like that. Because your first run through the script, you're only focusing on the dialogue areas. Like you try not to, you try to read it at all parts of the script and you're like, no, I don't got any time for this. I'm going to go and look at the dialogue areas. And that's also, also comic scripts are kind of boring to read. Like they're not <laughs> the most fun thing to read. Because, like, it, because it, it's, it's all it's very static. format. Yeah. 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 Because screenplays it, are fun to read because it's action, right? Like the stuff happening. Mm-hmm. But comics are like, yeah. this guy's standing there. This guy's about to do this. This guy's about to do that. So it's mm-hmm. just, it's not, it's not the funnest read. 
Yeah, yeah that's why they don't just sell the scripts. They, they <laughs> you know, it has to all be together with the art and everything. Mm-hmm. And that's when it's really engaging. And that's why that's the fun part with lettering is getting to make that engaging part of the book. You're marrying both those elements together and be like, okay, now it's fun time. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's the, the element is like when you're reading the script, like in the end, once I finish an issue and I'm reviewing the draft before I send in the proof, mm-hmm. that's when I'm like reading through and then I'm like, oh, shoot they were supposed to be whispering in this panel <laughs> and I didn't realize cause it was in the description of the panel and not actual notations in the dialogue. It's like, so the notations in the dialogue help a lot. Like the really yeah. experienced writers I noticed will, will do that naturally. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, creatively um, uh, this one, like Sai Spurrier does a lot of great things with his scripts, which I really enjoy lettering mm-hmm. because um, like mm-hmm. he will essentially like uh, size up and size down the script Mm -hmm. when appropriate Mm -hmm. so like all his whispering and stuff is like in tiny tiny dialogue (laughs) so it's like a proper visual cue for me to kind Mm -hmm. of play with the sizes and you Mm -hmm. know like i uh, on hellblazer for example i go from like um, uppercase to lowercase uh, Mm -hmm. and then back and like so I am kind of not using all his cues. Like I'm definitely bolding the stuff that he wants bolded, Mm -hmm. but you'll see like a lot of italics and stuff that I'm kind of putting Mm -hmm. there by myself because what's happening is that his script, the way he writes it is giving me the cadences of the speech. And then Mm -hmm. I can sort of accentuate it on my end, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I can sort of add in stuff where I feel like, you know what, this is adding to the rhythm of the dialogue. So I like, I really like that stuff where, um, yeah. You know, the, visually, the script is kind of conveying to you how it needs to be put on the page. I, like, I, I think that's what I like about uh, is that that collaborative sort of layering process. Because when I think of stuff like mm-hmm. Quantum and Woody, the the script for that is a very right. is a very standard scripting style. So it's it's just di- it's just mm-hmm. like you know, speaker dialogue, speaker dialogue, speaker dialogue. Um, but what like I'd like to do is take the cues, say probably more from the from the pages I get from Ryan. Brown, the artist on that, mm. more almost more so than the script. Like the script is, is kind of like almost becomes like mm-hmm. the, the framework to then look at the art and say like, okay, so what can I do with that? Like, how can I expand this or you know make this word giant or switch the font for this thing? That's probably the book where like I'm I'm most yeah. responsive, very like directly to what Ryan's putting on the page, which I think is quite interesting. And I'm kind of glad that Chris, right. the writer, doesn't doesn't necessarily call those as many of those cues in the script because like so much is really being built by what Ryan's doing on the page, if that makes sense. That that makes a lot of sense yeah. because I think I do that on Little Bird, for example, where right. uh, Darcy's script is pretty much, he's basically mm-hmm. like written at the top of the script that, you know, Aditya, you can go wild on this. Mm-hmm. And then I just react to the artwork and then I that's how I kind of uh, go big and small. Um, so yeah, I can. I can sort of <laughs> that's their that. first mistake. They let you go wild, and you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't mind, so that's fine. Yeah. That's I, that's I, actually... I love that about because that's what I like about like having like an editor on a book is that like I feel like I'm going to mm-hmm. give you like a handful of pages, right, to for you to tell me if you hate this or not. Mm-hmm. And in those handful of pages, I like I I almost want to go too far sometimes because I want someone to be like, okay, here's your limit, so I know where to go. Because that's that's always my worry. Yeah. Is that I, I is that if yeah. I if I don't yeah. have that and you just want me to like 
if I just take it, I can because I can just either play it safe and I can just do something that I know will work, or I can go crazy too far and you can just be like, okay, you're like two hundred percent there. We need to bring it down to hundred percent, which is like the, yeah, the when thing you, you have do an not... editor, you have a safety net, right? Which is not, which is really <laughs> helpful. Yeah, it's like the thing you don't like as an actor mm-hmm. is when a director goes like, you know, you're 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 at one hundred and fifty percent, bring it down to a hundred. That's like the that's like the advice you always get told to never do. But like as a letterer, sometimes I quite like that. Like if I'm if I'm hitting like, you know, I'm I'm at like. 2000 decibels and they're like we need it at like five decibels <laughs> okay yeah it's uh when you have an editor you actually have someone who's actually paying attention fully to the lettering and what it's doing and they'll be give you the best feedback on like okay this works this doesn't work and then you can <laughs> adjust because it's not just about adjusting your lettering to the good style it's supposed to be what's the best style for this book mm-hmm. i think one of the books i had like the most crazy creative freedom was um, Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they renamed it Six Million Dollar Man in Japan because it's a much more comedy style than their previous Six Million Dollar Man books. Mm-hmm. But um, it has Rosh in it. He does, yeah. like, it's one of those few books that I get to collaborate with the colorist pretty closely mm-hmm. and um, and really help each other meet the deadlines and get the stuff done. Chris H- Hastings does the uh, scripts and basically his scripts are very straightforward. Yeah. You know, they hit all the points, they're creative and, but he, he wanted certain things and he translated that to the editor, Nate and Nate came to me and be like, okay, take this up a notch. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, right. okay, we're in Japan. You want some J- Japanese dialogue in there. Mm-hmm. I know a Japanese translator who professionally does all these major works, I'm going to, you know, reach out to him and collaborate with him and actually insert Japanese dialogue because I've always wanted to letter in Japanese. (laughs) I speak the language. I write the language. Why not use it? And I got to do like sound effects in Japanese. I got to really like, I saw the artwork and the artwork loves to like, you know, break the boundaries when necessary and, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, break the panel borders when it really wants to do something cool and action oriented. And I'm like, I'm going to go an extra mile here. I've got the time. Let's do this. And so, you know, I had a lot of fun just doing a little extra and learning from it. And Mm -hmm. that was, that was really great experience. That was like one of those, that was a book where it was like as close to a mighty Thor experience (laughs) for me. So far, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I remember it fondly. <laughs> I think I think that's the value of yeah. like a really good editor, though. I think like because I I think Nate uh, Cosby has given me you know loads of room to kind of just try things out and and and, and yeah, and he's very very trusting mm-hmm. of his letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think um, I, I think so, like basically, if you have a good letter, uh, sorry, if you have a good editor, you can also kind of use the first batch of pages to, as Haas said, like go like two hundred percent, and you can kind of find mm-hmm. a new normal with them. Yeah. So that yeah, like later issues will go faster because you know exactly uh, more or less you know what beats they want you to hit mm-hmm. because they are very clear on their yeah. messaging. Yeah, though I've also learned over time, just because you can go two hundred percent doesn't mean you should go two hundred. No, always go two hundred percent. Those styles. When you're doing those styles and you're like, okay, this is amazing, and then like you're five issues in and you're like, oh my god, why did I have to use these particular types of word balloons? I'm so tired. Um, look, look, you're you're speaking to somebody who is literally doing a comic right now that needs to be lettered twice 
like that, no. the style that I'm using on it is literally me having to letter it twice. <laughs> oh. So, oh, wow. So, yeah. like, I will always yeah. do 100%. We, we are the try-hard trio. <laughs> yeah, I have, like, I have multiple books like that. There's Coffin Bound as well. Coffin Bound is also essentially me lettering it twice. I think I think we're all caught in the dilemma where we'll get we'll get the chance to be on good books and then we'll want to go that extra mile and then we're caught in that own loop of like oh no I'm doing yeah. all this extra work. <laughs> the amount of times I, 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 they just really wanted to look good I was lettering something yeah, like two days ago and I, had that exact, and I was like I forgot the, the time between me submitting a style that I like really that that the, the editor went for and I really, really liked and the time of me lettering it was it was like about a week and a half. And in that time, I just completely yeah. forgotten mm-hmm. how much extra work I'd caused myself by trying to do it in that way. <laughs> Luckily, it was just—it's just like a, a short, it's like a twenty-page short. So it's like at the, at the final page, I was like, "Thank God, I don't have to do this for like another four issues or whatever." But sometimes you just—sometimes you do—you sort of dig yourself into a hole of like I've, I keep trying yeah. to one-up myself every like on each of these subsequent issues in this series oh, or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, oh, man. I think. That yeah. happened. That happened with me on in Blue and Green, the new book that I'm doing with Ram and Anand. Where mm-hmm. uh, after our first book, like graffiti's all I hand lettered that right. Mm-hmm. So the next time mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm not hand lettering this. I'm doing this digitally. Ram is like, yeah, that's yeah. perfectly fine. I give him a digital style, and then I'm like, I think this will look good in hand lettering. Ram is like, you don't need to do that. Like <laughs> we can do digital. And then two days later, I'm like, okay, here's a digital version. Here's a hand lettered version. Which looks better? He's like, I didn't ask for the handwritten version, but the handwritten version looks better. Like, I think that's the designer's dilemma: is that like you want to turn in good designs, and but sometimes you do it to your own detriment. Mm-hmm. That you're like, yeah. oh wait, they went with the style that takes the most time. <laughs> no, I, this time I forced it on them. Like they didn't even ask for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's, well, sometimes it's also just like the pleasure of it. It's like, no, I'm yeah. working with this team. I'm working with this art. I really want to do it this way. I'm, I'm not exactly going to be that. satisfied any other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, that. it's like, our Ram, own verse. Uh, basically, like Ram, Ram talked about how like uh, he was doing some podcast interview and he talked about how like the hand lettering makes it look like a thing that was made rather than produced. And mm-hmm. the thing is like, if you have... Every every part of the team is doing that except the letterer. Like except the letterer is working digitally and it it's just kind mm-hmm. of looks all pasted on. You, you just I mean, you're just spoiling the book. Like you're just spoiling I mean that kind of ties yeah. into the second topic. But like yeah. at some point of time, it's just that you have to make the right decision for the book, right? So Yeah. Like I I mean we can return to the script topic in a second, but I just wanna add sometimes I'll I'll someone will ask me to be on a book. And I'll look at the art and it's um, such a style, such like a kind of gritty style that I feel like it would be a detriment to have my particularly particular type of digital lettering on the book. Mm-hmm. Like, right. so I will end up recommending it be like, you know, this is something that Hassan could do like with the with the, like the more gritty sound effects or something like that. I'll be able to recommend them to people that I think could do that style in a much more expanded way because they'll think like oh a letter a letter can do all these things it's like it really depends on what we've expanded on (laughs) and other letters will know other letter strings (laughs) oh absolutely yeah 
Let me let me let me circle. We let let us because we we are moving on slightly to the second topic. So let me let me bring uh, Mm -hmm. circle as ever so slightly back and ask you this question, which is: So do you want a letter uh, a writer to be thinking about ways that the lettering should sort of visually graphically look on the page within the script, or do you want that to be entirely sort of your domain as a letterer? That has to be balanced. Mm -hmm. I want the writer to understand how much dialogue they can fit into panels and limit themselves (laughs) because there are those writers that'll put like back and forth and back and forth because it sounds witty. And I'm like, no, stop. That's an entire page of cool, witty back and forth that you packed into a small panel. (laughs) And they have to, what I want writers to do is to do good lettering drafts where they're looking at the page of art and looking at their, um, you know, script mm-hmm. and having a good idea of size and shape from the style of the lettering and like be able to either limit themselves or change things up in order to, you know, adjust because letters can make things fit if you, if you, you know, write a, even write a fair amount of dialogue but there's only so much you can stretch it right. and uh, so I do want them to have that measured idea of how much lettering can go into a page mm-hmm. but I they don't have to limit to be like only this many sentences per dialogue blah 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 it's just like or this many words per balloon it's like it doesn't have to be that restrictive though in the beginning that helps mm-hmm. um, it's just like the more time just keep that in mind and then you adapt, adapt a second sentence like if you read a script from like Joe Jody Hauser doing her work on critical role, she focuses on character voice and gives a lot of leeway for the art to express the characters. So like I'm just doing these quick lines of dialogue and there's plenty of room in the panels and yet they're being witty and they're having those back and forth and it's working. Mm-hmm. She so I like that kind of stuff. Um, but um, sometimes you'll get those scripts where there's these huge back and forth and you're like, hey, ho- hold up. Um, And sometimes you just have to letter it anyways and let them see the problem once you've turned in the proof and be like, okay. Yeah. And sometimes they'll send in more dialogue for the panel. And I'm like, why are you doing this? (laughs) And, and then, um, but on the other hand, I don't want them constantly nitpicking every single element. Right. I, I don't have it often, but sometimes you'll have the writer who, thinks of themselves as also the editor, which those jobs, whenever possible, are best separate <laughs> yeah. because the they can give that outside perspective and help you kill those darlings. Mm-hmm. Um, but the when, when the writer is taking whole, whole control over every aspect, it can sometimes be so much where you're getting... I, I know sometimes there, there will be the writer who will write the script and have it all drawn out and turn in the script just as they wrote it without doing a lettering draft because they feel like they need to see the lettering and the art together before they feel like they can edit it down properly. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and then you get these revision notes that are like a book long. (laughs) And and just like a complete rewrite because they're inspired in a new direction. (laughs) And it's like, Mm okay, that's great for you, but I'm not being paid for this much extra work. I'm basically redoing most of this book. And then oh, I there's definitely like, charge for those, but also like, yeah. but also like you don't always have the time, right? Like you, like that would yeah, yeah. require an entire day. And 
Sometimes that's a yeah. It, it can it can be it can be exhausting. Sometimes mentally exhausting because you know it's not your lettering that's usually the problem. But with that many revisions, it kind of weighs heavy on your head as like a professional. It's like what did I do wrong? Right. And um, and and then there's the nitpickiness of like no move this more towards the center or move this a little bit farther away from them or move this over here. And sometimes it's not helpful for the visual space that the reader uses but that's what the writer wants. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, no, wait, sometimes you have to step back and trust the letterer knows mm-hmm. how the page is going to be read, mm-hmm. how right. the art is working for this. Cause sometimes the writer will think, well, this is the common rule and you should follow this rule. And it's like, well, the artist drew it this way. And this is how letters adapt to this way. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to have a whole back and forth on it. And so it can be exhausting. And sometimes when the notes are just like nudge this, Three points to the left. <laughs> I just want to throw myself okay. out a window. I, I don't think I've got enough time. Gone. It's it's mm, it, it doesn't happen often, but oof, oof. right. That that's just like it's I mean just you're like... just you're just doing that to show that you've done something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like so. So sometimes it can be exhausting when there's an excessive amount of revisions that can be avoided if they just trusted us mm-hmm. a little bit more and did their lettering script before handing it to us to be like okay i've seen the art i understand how they changed up the story and i'm adapting to it mm-hmm. i've seen sometimes the writer will go back to the artist and be like oh change that panel and be like you don't tell that to the artist <laughs> it's <laughs> like they drew it you're asking them to redraw things that's that's excessive for sometimes these requests can be very excessive mm-hmm. like sometimes if a panel is like completely ruins a story like how one panel of ant-man ruined the character for life <laughs> yeah okay. maybe a redraw is necessary oh you don't know it's um it's like an old 80s panel for ant-man like where they used to do these big action scenes and stuff and right. i guess um his wife uh, Jang oh, the came one up to where him. he hits her. Uh, yeah, and he's oh, just so, supposed so to be like, like, I've never read this. Yeah, yeah, he's he's like in a conflicted moment. So the you know the the description just says to like shove her away or something. Instead, right. it looks like he just wails on her and punches her, and she just flies across the panel. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> and so for the rest of his like career it's like oh yes and man recovering from his his sins as a wife beater like, oh my god right you don't want that defining your character when it it comes to like a creative decision right in terms of like okay so say that you know there's like a a particular balloon style or like something weird or wacky with a balloon yeah do you want i I have thoughts on that well do you do you want the writer to like full-on be like look this is what i want the balloon to look like or do you want the kind of it makes because it made me it made me think when i was thinking about this of um uh undone by blood which is um uh an aftershock book that i, that I let with uh zach thompson and lonnie adler and in that they yeah. those two as writers in their scripts together they write so much like emotional stuff that is not that is not re- relevant so much to the actual like physical actions in the in each panel they just write they write so much backstory mm-hmm. in the scripts about like this is what mm-hmm. is going on this is what the, this character's feeling this is what they're kind of interpreting this is what they're yeah. drawing from yeah that that stuff what, it's context, right. right and so when it comes to like lettering that makes it like really easy to to right. make a creative decision because you're like okay i understand what you mean so when you say this stuff needs to feel like narration i understand what that means visually but they're not calling it out i've mm-hmm. also worked on books where right. the lettering 
you know, it might be like a specific shouting balloon where it's been called out specifically. We want to do a balloon like so. So, do, is there a preference yeah. that you that you guys have in terms of like do, when when a creative decision um, needs to be made in a certain balloon type? Like, what do you want to see in the script? Can, can, like, can I go on this or like? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, um, because yeah, I had I mean, a thought about this. <laughs> no, because uh, on creator-owned books, especially, uh, I've done this this kind of thing quite a bit, where there is a particular like strange thing that we are trying to do, and um, I think that it's it's perfectly fine if the writer gives me a particular thing that they want to do, as long as they're okay with me understanding the intent of it and then maybe doing something else. Right. So, so for example, uh, like I think again, like I come back to Ram because like uh, he's sort of my oldest collaborator in some ways so he's kind of learned that i will kind of create solutions to problems that are not necessarily always stated mm -hmm. so he started kind of just stating the problem to me like he would get we would get on a phone call and he would tell me like for example in paradiso there was this one character that was speaking but he was like i don't want balloons for this i want it to look like the page is speaking right right <laughs> then i was like okay wait i have an idea for that like how about this and i kind of drew a tiny layout for him like in thumbnails and i showed it to him like is this interesting so basically what i did was that uh we like they've hadn't drawn it yet so i basically said that if you can we, if we can have like completely black balloons and i can do the text on that before the colorist gets their hands on it and mm -hmm. then they can give it like a glitchy treatment mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. so it looks like the panel itself is speaking right and yeah. then like then ram was like wait 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 okay if we can do that then at some point of time when the machine starts failing we can have this weird thing happen to that text mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. like we can have that kind of glitching way too much or it starts kind of uh, boiling out of the page almost right and mm -hmm. like i was like okay there you go like you've you've told me something <laughs> that i can then make something out of mm -hmm. right yeah um like for example, in, in I was doing revisions on a book right now, and the writer basically said that can we have the soup speaking? <laughs> and I was like, okay, I, I okay, I'm gonna give you one solution for that, and then once I send it to you, we can sit and like kind of figure out uh, more ways we could do this. Mm -hmm. So my original idea was to do the Nate Pico piss balloon, yeah, like if you yeah. if you've seen that one. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's but then I, then I was like, okay, that is a little too cartoony for this particular book. So I'm going to do something else. And then maybe we can kind of discuss that later. But like, mm -hmm. I, I want the problem to be stated to me rather than, I mean, I'm fine with the writer. It's kind of like Alan Moore, where if he puts in a solution, the artist is free to ignore it, right? So mm -hmm. like, I would like it like that. The writer can have an idea for it. But as long as I'm capturing their intent, I would like to feel free to kind of ignore that. Uh, you yeah. know, like, so, so yeah. for example, like when I do like icicle balloons, they're almost mm -hmm. never what the writer has stated in the, uh, in the script. Mm -hmm. It's always that the writer is saying that, okay, they're saying this very coldly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, okay, let, let me do an icicle balloon. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. kind of like that where. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, just like you kind of want the energy to be there. Like you want the question to be there so that then you can try something out and then kind of create a solution. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like that kind of that kind of collaboration. Or just get on a Skype call and tell me like you want a paid speaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, no, that's 
I mean, that's the really good answer to the problem. I oh, that, that actually reminds on. me, like, one of my favorite... Uh, sorry, uh, I'm going to interrupt yeah, again. Uh, <laughs> no, one no, of my favorite... Ahead. One of my favorite things in uh, Graffiti's Wall that I did was actually entirely Ram's, um, like, he created that idea where uh, somebody's basically been writing letters and at some point of time, they kind of tear those letters apart and throw them into the wind. And somebody picks one of them up and reads it. And he Mm. was like, can we make the balloon look like a torn letter? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I actually ended up doing exactly that. And it was such a beautiful, like, it was one of my favorite things. And I, yeah. I simply executed it. Like it was not my mm-hmm. idea at all. That was all wrong. <laughs> and I just, yeah. like, it was just fun to do that. Yeah. I, I mean, I can only agree with everything you said. I, and give my own example. Uh, uh, one of the most creative outlets I've had is working on Prism Stalker, the first volume of Prism Stalker mm-hmm. with uh, Sloan. And yeah. uh, each, each issue, like there were times where she had, been given allowance to add extra pages into issues we had already done like the year before but like we were getting ready for print and they're like oh you can add this many pages so i think in the second issue we got to add like five more pages which is crazy but (laughs) she had them all planned out it was like this psychedelic scene and she started describing these things and in one page there was two lines of dialogue and she said break this balloon reverse the other Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. And so I had to like really look at it and it's like, okay, I'll break it and I'll reverse that. And it was some of my most fun work to problem solve it in a way that I really could get the feeling of uh, diaspora that the character was feeling because there was an alien entity entering her through her hand. And And I was able to show one side of herself being shattered to be replaced by this new entity through how I was lettering it. Mm-hmm. And um, because we were both in communication with like what she wanted and what she stated was really clear. And I was able to take that and give it my own interpretation. And she took it and she's like, this is exactly what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Awesome. <laughs> your, your, your stuff's so cool in that book. I think as a, like that, it yeah. was it was very funny. yeah that as a, that one feels like a like almost like you couldn't quite tell where you guys like one of you ended and one of you began sort of thing. Yeah, there are times where um, the sound effects she enters in and sound effects I did, yeah. and I and I really like the moments where sometimes the people can't tell each other's <laughs> ours, and it was a huge step for me in learning both how to loosen myself up because a lot of my style is usually pretty rigid in the digital realm mm-hmm. but this one it's still digital but i i got to loosen up a lot in how i and how i would letter it and that helped me a lot in my like future projects and then also it taught me a lot about how uh, a lot of publishers handle color and the use mm-hmm. of color in lettering so it, it was a huge, like, it was like a college course on, like, what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, don't, don't, like, use two channels and two channels, not four. And I was like, oh, 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 I have to fix a bunch of things right now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, that and um, Firebug with uh, Johnny Christmas and Tamara Bonvillain was 
huge educational experiences. Firebug oh, taught me how to put together a graphic novel the first time. Mm -hmm. And once you learn how to do it, it's ingrained in your bones what not to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm proud of that work, but it also was like a huge educational experience for me because I we didn't have an um, like a, an, an editor for the project. Right. And we were just kind of flying by our knowledge. And that's when I learned, one, how to put together a graphic novel and all the key things not to forget, <laughs> such as naming conventions. <laughs> <laughs> and two, um, well, it was like one is that. And then the two is um, how how a team collaborates and how essential an editor can be to a team to make sure everyone's on the same page. Because the main thing I learned at that point in my career is that never expect everyone to know everything that goes into making a comic. Mm -hmm. Everyone's yeah. going to know what, what they can do to make a comic, but they're not going to know the entire start to end process. Yeah. And that's where a letter can bring in key information on that last part of the process, that last step of like what not just what goes into bringing the script and the art together, but like what goes into putting that book into print, mm -hmm. because sometimes mm -hmm. we're the pre-production team as well. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I did so that for Graphic like that. India for three years, and that's kind of I made a lot of mistakes. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you learn a lot in the process, and so when they're hiring you, they're hiring you for that knowledge base as well. Mm -hmm. So to answer the another part of that original question, I don't expect the writer to know everything that goes into my job, but I do expect them to trust me to be able to handle that last step in the process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not have to know, they don't have to know everything about what goes into making this comic come together. But, uh, you know, they can, they can trust me to a certain degree because I've had to learn the hard way for them. Right. That's a great. No one has to know 100%. That's, that's, a, that's a great, uh, I'm going to use that as a fantastic way to say we've solved that problem. Do you, do you, do you have, do you have, a, yeah. have an opinion on this, like that we haven't covered? Us. Uh, no, I think I think yeah. I think, so you've just been listening to it. <laughs> I think no, I think you've got it. I think <laughs> the thing for me was like is 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 partly that what you just answered, Ariana, which is like the idea of like do you, how much does someone need to know versus how much does someone need to trust that someone else needs to know, um, and yeah. and for me, I think the where, what where I like to get to is is beyond the technical uh, and to the creative is is more like include me in the same way. Uh, that you would include the way that you're kind of talking to the artist or the colorist. Um, because I think mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. then opens up opportunities to be creative rather than to be, um, rather than just to go to, to, to what you know works because you're not quite sure, you know, in what direction these things are going to go. Yeah. So, uh, which we've covered. I think yeah. we've covered Sometimes it. you can tell, yeah, sometimes you can tell the writers who uh, don't really talk to or, or understand how much uh, the letterer plays as a part of the team mm -hmm. because they're not giving as much creative ideas over to the letterer to juggle, mm -hmm. to like tackle any new problems for us to solve. And sometimes it's those writers that can be like the most challenging for us or giving us constant problems to solve, but it also is the most creatively uh, creative exercises that we can have into our job and be like some some of our most fulfilling work yeah. is the yeah. ones who are willing to think it's like okay here are my problems like how, what what would you suggest to s solve it and that's basically a lot of what a letterer can do if you want to utilize them I, so you know don't 
don't overexert, but don't utilize your letter. <laughs> I think. I think. Just. I'm going to add one final point onto this, which just popped up from from that was so when when in film and TV and stuff, you look at a script and the script has to be has to essentially be a, a blueprint because there's so many people uh, working from this one thing in various different departments, and so it it, it has mm-hmm. to be it's it's creative to a point, but the script is also a very 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 technical thing. In, for a comic book script, mm-hmm. it's much less so because you're talking to a much 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 yeah. smaller amount of people, um, and I and I. It's it's much more like a round robin, like a storytelling round robin. Right, and, and, and that, that script because you have half a dozen people all bringing their own interpretation into the work. Yeah, yeah, and and so your script then mm-hmm. therefore becomes less of a specific blueprint that does. You're telling the story to a couple of the people who then have to do something with that work later on. And I was talking to uh, mm-hmm. Andre, and so he what, what we were talking about was that idea of like if the script from the writer is really just a way of the writer telling a story to an artist and the artist then has to tell the story again to the reader and to the colorist and to the letterer and i think like i quite like that as an idea rather than the the kind of tv blueprint or film blueprint approach that really we're just we're each each of us are kind of telling stories off the back of a story that we've heard and seen and i think with that comes that trust and that freedom to say like okay well you know you put your spin on that story you put your spin on that story i think that's a nice i, I quite like yeah. that way of looking at it is it feels slightly more sort of yeah. holistic than than it does uh right uh, authoritative if that makes sense yeah yeah that, that comes back to my point about the more difficult writers the ones who are more controlling over like what's going on is that they want the story to shape their original script, mm-hmm. even to the point of trying to get the colorist, artist, and and letterer to like come back to that skeleton. And it's yeah. like, no, sometimes you gonna, there's going to be deviations, and you have to mm-hmm. you have to adjust. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. You have to have that trust. I'm trying to think of a way to segue <laughs> this into the second topic, but uh, hang on, I've got one. Let's just go to the second no, I've got, topic. I've, I've, got, I've got one. I've got one. Right. No, oh, let him okay. try. Let's see. Let's okay. see what no, he does. Because no, you're talking about. <laughs> yes, yes. So you're talking about writers that are too rigid, right? And often, <laughs> often, often, an argument about digital lettering is that it's not as uh, it is. It's too rigid as compared to traditional uh, handwritten, yeah. handdone lettering, which is often a little bit rougher, a little bit, a little bit messy around the edges. You know, a little bit non-uniform. Yeah, yeah. yeah. More organic. So there you go. That's a segue. <laughs> that works. Right. Yeah. All right. That, that's that's okay. a good one. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, right. Yeah. So, yeah, my topic was uh, so. Uh, my topic was that. Uh, do you think the shift to digital lettering has actually been a good thing for comics? Um, now, I think I can state the problem such that efficiency-wise, I think it has sort of been a boon because uh, we can sort of make the comic happen faster. Like you don't have to mm-hmm. send pages over to another uh, state mm-hmm. or another country and so on. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. I think everybody apart from letterers are probably very happy about the fact that lettering is kind of all digital now. But mm-hmm. as a letterer, I find myself a little bit dissatisfied at times about this. Mm-hmm. Um, although like, I mean, if for example, digital lettering hadn't taken over, I would not have a job right now because I learned how to hand letter after I started lettering. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's been an advantage for me, mm-hmm. but I do think it's a bit of a pity that we don't have more hand lettering these days. And I would like to hear your thoughts. Like, Yeah. I'm, when it comes to that, it's like, um, there are both pros and cons looking at it completely objectively. There is, in hand lettering, there is such 
character and life to the style it's memorable it's visceral like you can you can like taste it like you read like todd klein sandman is iconic for a reason it had such a a visual impact on you that if you don't if you're trying to describe you know lettering to someone who reads comics Mm -hmm. but is not grasping what your job is you can mention Todd Klein Sandman and they're like oh yeah with all the like colors and and it's just like and the shapes and it's like all the personality Mm -hmm. like that was something that was given a lot of creative expanse and you remember that like anyone who letters and appreciates the art of lettering can appreciate stuff like uh, Tom Orszowski's work in X-Men which I I mentioned to you guys when, like, uh, before the broadcast, it's just like it has this wonderful way of telling the story, which is a very like Chris Claremont will do these very dense stories, mm-hmm. and yet he'll be able to translate them not just through good placement, but also through his personal style, which like completely bleeds through the page. So there's that passion that kind of like romance of hand lettering that you you that's not lost in translation because it's 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 from the pen to the paper but without digital lettering i wouldn't i wouldn't be here on this podcast i wouldn't be talking to you guys but but digital lettering is is accessibility and speed and in a sense some new forms of creativity yeah for sure yeah yeah because because the two examples that you gave of those, one of them is actually continuing to do those things uh, through digital lettering. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you look at Todd Klein's work in Sandman Overture. Uh, I actually yeah. wrote about it for Panel Next Panel because I think mm-hmm. that Klein has only gotten better once he's mm-hmm. shifted yeah. to digital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, somebody like Tom Orzikowski and John Workman, I feel like their best work is the hand lettering stuff. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. for where, for example, like Workman is still lettering on the boards for Walt Simonson. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he literally like uh, Simonson apparently just uh, roughs out the blue, uh, panels and mm-hmm. then sends it, sends them over to Workman. And yeah. once Workman has lettered it, then uh, Walt uh, Simonson starts drawing it. <laughs> so he doesn't even yeah. pencil it in before. Like he literally mm-hmm. pencils it after the letters That's have cool. come back. Um, yeah. And on the other hand, like somebody like, Orzikowski was what Orzikowski was doing in like Spawn or you know his earlier books mm-hmm. where there's mm-hmm. this kind of um, fluidity and there's this flourish alongside alongside the sort of like the very precise letter forms. Mm-hmm. I don't think that mm-hmm. combination is something that you get in digital quite as much. But what you, the, the, what you're yeah. both yeah. leading to, I think, is the, is an interesting point, which is that lettering now for people that aren't Tom Ors or or Klein. Is a, is a very different process because like for, for, for a lot of us we're, we're trying to do different stuff every single time whereas when you were hand lettering a lot of what letters were doing was a, a modification of a similar style right because everyone had their own particular style toy Klein, you can recognize a toy Klein book when you see it right you can recognize a tom mm-hmm. Ors book when you mm-hmm. see it you can't you could it, it's much more difficult for a regular person to look at like uh, a nate picos book and be like that's nate picos because that's someone who's right. changing what they're trying to do as it comes around to each book which is something that was much harder pre-digital right gasper was the only person who would uh who could kind of uh 
do like five different lettering styles in the same book mm-hmm. and make mm-hmm. them work like everybody else kind of had the same recognizable basic thing and they would kind of move that over mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. But in digital, you can like basically just you're using fonts, right? So you can kind of do it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting to be in a um a, a very small niche industry where it's basically if we were artists, then we are working in the same medium as freelancers with the person who is creating all of our paint. <laughs> like, we have Richard Starkings, we have Nate Nikos, and they create uh, the paint that we use for our palettes, right. basically. Yeah. Right. So like, and that's why like awards and stuff strike us as odd. It's not just because like, I love Todd Klein, but he'll always get the award because he, the most name recognition, but it yeah. also seems odd to us because we're like, Nate makes all of the fonts that most of us use. <laughs> like mm-hmm. all of us learn lettering. Like I think our generation, a big, a big generation of, of letters came from reading old PDFs that Jim Campbell put together on how to digitally letter. It's such a small niche that we know the people who helped build it what it is today. And um, it's, it's an interesting kind of surreal element. It's like, well, before all this, these people should be recognized for what they've done mm-hmm. because they've like completely you know, set the stage for what our industry is now. Yeah. Cause the, the, I think the one thing that we have to recognize is that the hand lettering and um, uh, digital lettering pros and cons aside is that it was inevitable that it was going to go into digital lettering. I yeah. think uh, <laughs> two, two prints that I keep on my wall in my studio, the things that inspire me the most are two Todd Klein prints that he sells from his store. And uh, one is he did in the 90s to showcase what hand lettering brings to the stage. It's just like a completely, he drafted everything and, and colored it and he would show it basically as his letterer's portfolio. This amazing page that is pretty much sums up all the great elements of what makes hand lettering so good. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was like 10, 20 years later, he did a mirroring print which uh, is basically his compendium of knowledge. And it's also a same size, same dimensions, and it's mostly all like digitally lettered, but it gives his compendium of all of his ideas and thoughts of what are basic indelible rules of lettering, you know, Mm. things that, you know, that, that should be like the basic knowledge that you keep when you're lettering. And I keep those both above my head so that I can always glance at them and be like, okay, what would Todd Klein do? And it's like, yeah, he'd win in an Eisner first time. <laughs> <laughs> and he would definitely not use crossbar eye in this situation. <laughs> and and it, it kind of says, because his, his portfolio piece from the 90s is basically a, a, uh, a statement of what hand lettering brings to the table mm-hmm. and yeah. all the value that it has from the person offering it to the table. And then his more recent piece on his compendium knowledge is, is shows his evolution and his transition to be like, it's inevitable to go digital and this is how he adapted to go digital. Mm-hmm. And this is 
a showcase of how he's grown going into the digital medium. He still keeps a lot of his elements as a draftsman, as an original draftsman doing the handler Mm -hmm, work. He mm -hmm. still brings that into his modern work, but there's still elements that are being done digitally because it's fast, it's efficient, and um, it's accessible. He's one of the people that yeah. that's kept that's kept because uh, that, I think that's what's interesting is if you look at like I think me, me Biddy me and you had a conversation I can't remember if it was on this podcast or not or just in life but when we talked a little bit about like seeing some of the stuff like that Tom Oz did you know post digital and he, and even more recently yeah. and mm-hmm. there is an element for him of kind of trying to recreate uh, like his look from when he would hand letter. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't quite capture the, the same spirit. But when you look at someone like Clem or you look at someone like Todd, who have really put, seem to have put like a lot of work and a lot of effort into making their digital stuff yeah. reminiscent as yeah. much as possible to their to their uh, handwriting stuff is where it really sings for me. But I think there's there's a yeah. feeling of a, yeah. a digital lettering. I think it, as an art form, it has to be something different than hand lettering, unless you're someone like Clem or Todd who is who is using the format to really essentially like really boil down into a very specific hand lettering style. But I don't know if I mm-hmm. or you or, or Ariana could, could, could take something that doesn't exist, right? Which is like our pre-body, our pre-digital body of work and start and be like, well, yeah. we're, we're just, we're just doing this now. Like we, we, our digital look is to recreate this thing that made us famous before digital lettering. I don't know if us three, if we just went, I've made one font, I'm only using this one font and this one style for every book. I don't know if that would be, <laughs> to me, that sounds like it would hamper yeah. your selection. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. It's a huge challenge. And sometimes it works successfully and sometimes it doesn't. But I admire them all for making the effort because I don't know how I would manage if I was in the same yeah, it's a drastic of, switch. of this right. huge, massive translation yeah. of like, hey, you know the way you always did things? <laughs> well, here's a computer. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I remember Jim Campbell once told me that uh, what he does when he's on a new book is that like he thinks in his in the idea in an ideal world, who would I like to see lettering this book? Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So like it, it's either like Tom Ozikowski or John Workman or like, or like Todd Klein mm-hmm. and then he'll do or Tom Frame and then he'll do something that like he'll do his version of that. Right. So it won't actually mm-hmm. look like that letter, but it'll look like a Jim Campbell filtered version of yeah, that letter. Yeah. So like, for yeah. example, on Giant Days, he's taking an inspiration from a workman. So, you mm-hmm. know, there are these round balloons and these this yeah. kind of like broad broad font and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. Well, on the other hand, like one of my old editors did try and tell me that, you know what, you should have one style and you should stick to that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I, I'd never done that because I, I was just like, I thought about it and I was like, I think that would be very boring for me. honestly like no offense but that's like the worst advice to give to you specifically i don't think (laughs) i don't think you're capable of that (laughs) if someone said if someone said to you it's like here do this whole new series but just do it exactly like you did that other series you'll be like no i don't don't think so you would chafe you would chafe at that (laughs) it seems to me to like yeah i I get bored very easily basically Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. strews the 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 not not in the but it misconstrues the sort of the medium right it, it, of digital lettering it's just to say just yeah. the thing like we've got so much access to everything and even even try to incorporate like but the, okay so but the, the, that also poses a, a different interesting question which is if we can all do everything then what set 
yeah. you apart from the next letter, from the next letter, from the next letter. And for me, like so yeah. for me, I, like I've been slowly trying to incorporate more of the kind of like Photoshop uh, sound effecty stuff. In right. Yeah. Work. Actually, that's funny mm-hmm. because like both of us do, um, both of us incorporate Photoshop into our sound effects, but we do it in very different ways. Very different ways. Yeah. Oh man, I want to pick your guys' brain on that one day. I just really want to. <laughs> I don't actually. Because I don't I, mind talking about it right now. Yeah, that's that's yeah. fine. Like, how do you translate that into vector? I don't. It's oh, my well, secret. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, I I, oh, I yeah. actually did that. I, I actually uh, stole from House's thing um, on Hellblazer number six, where mm-hmm. actually the panel was such that a vector effect would look bad on it. So I just did a Photoshop mm-hmm. effect completely and then copy pasted it um and then you just you just have to render it as an ai file so then then you know you don't get those white blocks basically okay. rather than rather than an eps file i what i do mm-hmm. is that i will do the effect in photoshop i copy paste it over and then i run an mm-hmm. image trace on it and i have mm-hmm. an action set to a particular setting on image trace that i like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it gives me so- like uh, but so okay. I just keep messing with image trace until I find the holy grail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, CC twenty twenty actually has a really nice default one. Okay, good. good. Like yeah, yeah. I've been well. I've been working with that in a in a recent series I've been doing with uh, James Wright. Um, it has a much more organic style, and I almost like seeing this beautiful style. A part of me is just like, oh, just ask Aditya or Hassan to do this. They they're good at this, but I'm like, no. You have to learn. So <laughs> just the other day, well, there was this. Yeah, there's this. There's a scene where it's in it's in a snowstorm, and the main character is defying these opponents in a snowstorm, and they're supposed to howl, mm-hmm. and um, and I start drawing it into um, a, a, into Photoshop directly to do the the sound effect. I'm not really great at hand drawing these sound effects in but i'm like giving it my best effort and as i'm drawing it in i realize that i have it underneath the ink layer on accident right and Hmm. then i step back and take a look and i'm like actually this really works in a snowstorm (laughs) (laughs) so i go through that and then i go back and i erase the elements where they it's supposed to go behind the characters and then i step back and i'm like oh shit that works nice i mean that's 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 basically my pro like my process is is I, I tag this so as I'm working through the pages I'll make like a like a bit of text just to remind me that there's a sound effect there and figure out graphically how I think it might work with very very like little yeah. little I don't do too much for it in an illustrator and I just kind of tag the pages as I go like mm-hmm. that page needs sound effects that page needs sound effects and then I do it the sound effects as a separate mm-hmm. pass and I'll put all the pages into Photoshop and I'll stick the text over the top from what mm-hmm. I've explored. It's a very long-winded process. And then I'll just hand-draw the sound effects yeah. with the with a ta- I use an, like an iPad with a, with a pencil. Um, and like the, the mm-hmm. screen mirroring app uh, called AstroPad, where you can you can use it as like a graphics tablet, but like with the screen. And so I just I just draw oh, it like nice. straight onto the screen with the pencil and then do everything. What's it called? Astro? AstroPad. Astro pad, yeah. Astro but pad. I, I think cool. I think the new sidecar, uh, the new sidecar doesn't kind of... doesn't have pressure sensitivity for Photoshop yet, which is quite annoying. Oh, um, okay. So yeah, I, do, I just do it all like that, and it's it's time consuming, but I like the control it gives me for 
for sound. That, like that's how I lettered, hand lettered um, yeah. the one thing I've hand lettered fully, which is that issue of Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, which was all hand lettered. I did that all in Photoshop. Oh, right. Like yeah, with yeah. a, I found oh, a, yeah, one of uh, Kyle Webster's lettering pen, uh, pens, and I just did the whole thing like that. Oh yeah, like that. That's oh the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You just use all the Kyle Webster brushes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I get because I, I, I got yeah. a bunch. I got I saw uh, Ted. Uh, of Rowan Ted fame on either who, who draw crowded, um, and he he tweeted a, a bunch of different pens from like this this uh, I, can, I can never remember the name, but they had like uh, a Fremden. Say again, Fremden. Is it Fremden with the the kind of the rough pen Fem studio? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so I, I downloaded, yeah, a whole, I bought a whole bunch of their pens and stuff. And there's some I've got like a set I kind of use. I create little folders for each project, and I have like a little set I use for different books and stuff. Um, and I just I I find that part of the process so so much fun, and yet horrifically time consuming. It takes so much longer yeah. than if I just did it in Illustrator. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I, but I, I just love doing it. I, I really like it. Like, I really enjoy, and I think there's certain books. It's like for me, it's like the only way I could I could do that letter, uh, do the sound effects for certain books. Yeah, yeah. I think I think if it were a debate of verses of like hand lettering versus digital, I think the only answer is it depends on the book. <laughs> yeah, it depends on what the message is, what the script is saying, what the art is saying, mm -hmm. and then you. You, you know, like a letter would know what works best. How, like how organic and gritty does this book look? How much like, like when I was doing um, Six Million Dollar Man has these nice straight lines, this nice clear cut voice to mm -hmm. it that a lot of it was a lot easier. It's like, yeah, it's fine to do a font. And then, and then um, Nate was like, do it workman style. And I'm like, you know, you know, workman can be hired for this. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but I'm like wait no I have a job I'm gonna do my job and so I'm like looking at these like um, Justice League International mm -hmm. like the hand lettering he did in that series and so then I adapted the whole balloon stacking that they did from that series but I was still doing it digitally so I get it has a much more uniform appearance in in the series when I when I uh, lettered it, but the sound effects were much more clear-cut, cartoony. Right. I wanted to make it cartoony, so fonts are great for mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. But yeah. then, but then you get a gritty, gritty book where it's like the characters being raised by wolves. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, I I need to take, I need a Kyle brush here. I need to go into Photoshop and I need to draw in the snow. Oh, <laughs> and and it, it really calls to what the book needs. And also another major factor, like we said. Digital lettering is efficiency. It's timing, yeah. and um, so this yeah. is. I'll, I'll announce it now since this is this is like if you've listened to this far in the podcast. Congratulations! <laughs> I'm going to give you a little news snippet that may not be announced by the time this podcast is out. But I recently quit my job, my day job, uh, working as a software tester in Nintendo, and I joined uh, Virtual Calligraphy to work hey. in Marvel Comics. Congrats! Congrats! And thank you so much. It's a huge thing. I feel both excited and also like, how? Why me? <laughs> but it came out of the blue and it's like, okay, this is a huge risk. Totally worth it. Let's go for it. If I fail, I fail, but I'm going to fail gloriously. Uh -huh. And um, everyone on the team has been super great. But 
it's also a matter of me learning. It's almost like learning how to put my pants on in a whole new way. Right. You think you're supposed to put it on a certain way and <laughs> zip it up and you've got your pants on. And then you go to this team and it's like, okay, here's how you put on pants. And it's like, oh, I know this. And then you're like, oh, no, I don't know this. <laughs> and, Did it make you use the layer method? It's, it's yes, it's layer method. <laughs> Uh, DC also loves layer method too, which oh, has its pros and cons. Yeah. yeah, it has its pros it and cons. But thankfully, it's like, DC doesn't make me use layer method, and I'm happy for that. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, they they the templates they originally gave me as layer methods like fine, I'll do this. Let's see. But yeah, uh, with Marvel, there's a specific house style, mm-hmm. and the house style is is clean and efficient and everyone is doing working within the house style and i'm learning to adapt in a way where i can limit my own self-expression in benefit of me getting the workout efficiently efficiently hitting those deadlines and i think it works fine for me i can do this because every once in a while on my own i'll get hired to do a book where i can just do creatively something very different mm-hmm. And that's cool. So I'll have my outlet, but I can also sublimate my own style to a to degree where it's like, okay, house style, use this font, make it big, boom. <laughs> and you get it out, you get it out, you get it good, make sure it looks clean, make sure it reads well, and you do it. And yes, that, that style for the X-Men Hickman is yeah. very quick to letter because Hickman only wants it certain way the fonts a certain way and you're like okay this is all i got let's just do it so it's it's yeah. not that actually yeah that actually it's like, just the speed make, of digital lettering <laughs> correct it, it, precisely that like i think there's there's an advantage that digital lettering has which is that bad digital lettering i mean i'm not saying that mm-hmm. marvel style lettering is bad digital lettering but mm-hmm. bad digital lettering is still way more readable than mm-hmm. bad hand lettering yeah, because bad, bad hand, hand lettering can just go. Yeah. yeah, when it goes bad, yeah. it goes, it, it it sours like a like a cheese out on a hot summer day. <laughs> it's it, it like bad hand lettering can just it if you don't think it can be that bad, it can get much much worse. Mm-hmm. And but like good hand lettering, it's just like you could cry. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. But when it Absolutely. when someone's just like flimsily just popping it in. Like I, for digital lettering, the worst you can do is go into Photoshop and make those long ovals that take up half the art and like <laughs> just type in whatever. And it's just like, oh, I use Comic Sans because this is a comic. And it's like, oh, my eyes are bleeding. <laughs> but still not as bad as like hand lettering because those have higher highs and lower lows. Right. Digital lettering has a certain safety net. Right. And, um, and you can correct that. Like when someone shows me, uh, poor digital lettering they're like okay how can i fix this you can point out the elements it's like well you know make your make your when your balloon tail meets the balloon make it more consistent on that how thick they are and like simple things like that that when i made those improvements in my own style it read better mm-hmm. it read easier and digital lettering you can have that room to grow and adapt and change quickly but with hand lettering it's just like I don't know. Yeah. Learn how to write letters. <laughs> it's just, it's just. How do you even start? <laughs> I'm. I. I would love to hand letter. It would be a dream. I would love to make a font. That would be a dream come true. But then it's also. I would love to 
get books out. And so it's trying to measure so, uh, how much time I think- do I have to learn one skill over the skill I know well. <laughs> yeah. All, all you really have to do is like promise somebody you're going to do it and then you kind of have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just dig a hole first and then jump. <laughs> if you can dig yourself back out, you're fine. <laughs> Well, I think I think I think that's that's a, that's a trick. I think Ariana, you like answered that like beautifully in terms of to answer this question of it has the shift to digital lettering been a good thing for comics? In that, I like that concept of uh, hand lettering has a higher you know a higher ceiling, but a but a, a much deeper uh, floor or hole yeah. for, a, fall, a to much fall into. Floor to fall down yeah. into. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you look some early zines and stuff where people were just, or, you know, even some recent zines where someone was just like putting something together and they're like, I'll just hand letter this. And you're like, oh no, the <laughs> art is so good, but I can't read what's being said. Mm-hmm. Or it's placed in a way that it's just not a logical uh, read. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have placements down right, which is a very key thing for a letterer to know naturally. Mm-hmm. That when you can't read the placements in the right position, you're like, wait, how did this happen? And you you have to go back and reread the page until you finally crack the code. And that can sometimes be a problem for folks coming from or comics creators, particularly indie comics creators that are trying to do it all coming from a, a manga background. Mm-hmm. Because manga, you're reading from the opposite. You're reading it in an, an S shape instead of a Z shape. Mm-hmm. Your eyes yeah. are going across the page in a different way. And you're just, you have to go against the current when you're trying to do a Western comic from that background of always reading manga. And especially because manga lettering is, whew. I really <laughs> admire the letters who have to, you know, take japanese manga lettering and translate it into a, a foreign language medium mm-hmm. like brandon bovia and 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 sarah all Lindsay of these does. other great yeah sarah Lindsay. she's just like she just is completely just recoding the entire internet to make this work <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're able to handle challenges that we as professional letters can't even like wrap our heads around because yeah. you also have to be an artist to yeah, you have completely to do redraw and panels yeah. and it's just like whoa and make it fast and make it efficient and you can't do that in a hand lettering medium you can only do that because we're digital now hmm. and it's just yeah. like dang but um and, and it's just like trying to translate that and there's there's much more of a safety net in digital because you can point to people and be like, well, how is this bad lettering? You just send them off to the tips and tricks on the Blambot page and be like, this is what we consider kind of like our basic rules, mm-hmm. yeah. like our basic like what to us are good sensibilities as a starting point because the entire practice of lettering did originate from hand lettering. But once it went to digital, there are some things that worked in hand lettering that don't work in digital Mm -hmm. and we are adapting we're constantly forming our own rules that our own personal rules of what works and doesn't work for us and also our own little community rules because there's only like there's not that many of us as letters and so what we like and we don't like we kind of share that and debate it and get into heated arguments over it (laughs) because we're trying to craft our own like commandments on what works what doesn't work Mm -hmm. and and then sometimes an editor will come in and be like, this is a kid's book. We want crossbar eyes for everything. And you can't do anything about it. Like, 
Okay. <laughs> is that like, why they ask? They have so many crossbar eyes. In in the DC Kids line, yes, mm-hmm. it is. Oh. It was it was debated heavily. I don't know. I wasn't a part of that process where they just made the decide for the guidelines. Right. But I can understand where they're coming from because you have to consider when these books are in kids' hands, there are kids who um, are dyslexic mm-hmm. or right. have issues reading. So one, the the lettering has to be in um, uppercase and lowercase. It has to right. use that. And two, you have to use the crossbar eyes in all cases. Uh, I've had to fight back a few times when it came to sound effects because I'm just like, no, please don't make me do this. <laughs> but like when it comes to dialogue, it's like we, we want this and, want, and they want to be very precise because this is going into, you know, those scholastic mm-hmm. book, book sales yeah. and stuff right. like that. This is going straight to kids' hands and they want to be able to translate it into a medium that all kids to the best of their abilities can read because Yes, there is cases where children with dyslexia can read Comic Sans, but it's not because Comic Sans is a magical font. It's because there are certain elements of the change in the shape, that right. that ha- almost hand lettering thing that they stole from the Dave Gimmicks, Dave Given style mm-hmm. that that worked for it, but it was inconsistent, which bothers us. Yeah. But it can be translated in simply having a font that has uppercase and lowercase. The mixed case fonts in a in a in a good style can work with that. So DC Kids has a limited amount of fonts, well, font library we can choose from. So right. there are those limitations. We have a a certain grammar and style guide we work from, and so we just work within it. There, there's no right. can't push back. You're you're doing this for a very specific audience and you want to make sure that they have the best reading experience and they're consulting, you know, educational professionals to get this done. So it's like, okay, hands off. I'll I'll do the thing. So some of, some of my absolute best favorite work is in Zatanna and the house of secrets. And I will admit there's crossbar eyes everywhere. (laughs) If you can forgive that, you are going to enjoy the crap out of that. I promise you. Yoshi Yoshitani's art is so good. And I got to have so much fun without having a time. Yeah, like she has this really nice, clean, lineless style. So I put in strokeless balloons on everything. And I love strokeless because it's so time saving. And Mm -hmm. I got to have and they're like, well, make, you know, make the 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 when Zatanna says the magic words backwards, make it something special. And I was like, oh, Oh no! <laughs> you let me have it rains. You let me. You're you're gonna let me be creative on this, aren't you? <laughs> and I just went all out. It was so much fun, and I could only do that in a digital medium because trying right. to to adapt that, I don't have I don't have the physical skill to draw Zatanna's lettering in that really elaborate style that I put into the book. Right. I can admit that about myself. I, I can barely do a circle. So like with my own hands, so it's like, <laughs> I, I understand the limitation, but um, because the digital medium is available, that's where I can excel. And this is where I can play with ideas and, and really kind of pull it all together. Nice. nice. That's a good, that's a good, uh, explanation yeah, of why digital again. works yeah that's nice yeah, yeah we that's saved nice. it we saved all of comics yeah you guys are welcome <laughs> we managed to do that almost every podcast yeah we, we fix comics every <laughs> time we talk it's nice it's good um yeah you gotta be consistent make sure you save all comics every time <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, well, thanks for joining us, Ariana. It's been a lot of fun uh, not having to only listen to Bidu. <laughs> How dare you? How very dare you? <laughs> and just adding a little bit of spice to the conversation. I'm entertaining, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Thanks for checking out this week's Letters and Lines of the Ditcher and Me. You can find the podcast at all the usual places. You can find podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Libsyn, I think. Yeah. You can keep up to date with me on Twitter at Aditya B and uh, at my website, AdityaB.net. And I'm on Twitter at Hassan Oui. Please check out Strip Panel Naked on YouTube and my magazine at PanelXPanel.com. I'm available on Twitter as Comment Airy. Uh, also, I have a portfolio site that's just arianamar.com. And uh, if you ever need me for a project or anything, you can just use the contact form. I'm there. Thanks for being on this uh, episode. And I think that's it for the show. Thanks for listening.